Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 26 through 38 in just a moment. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. I want to express uh, my sincere appreciation uh, for the faithful prayer and financial support of this church to the Associated Gospel Churches, and particularly for our mission of our chaplains. You know, the AGC currently endorses or supports about 112 chaplains who are faithfully proclaiming the gospel in restricted access institutions and restricted access countries all around the world. A chaplain is a pastor in uniform. He's a missionary sent out from a local church who serves in a restricted access institution. As CRT and woke ideologies and LGBTQ plus policies continue to advance in our government, you need to know that there is federal law that protects military chaplains in their speech and gospel ministry within the institutions in which they serve. Really, truly, chaplains have greater liberty to speak the truth in the military than anyone else. And the need for them to speak the truth is greater today than at any time in our nation's history. So the question is not can chaplains speak the truth, but will they? And you know, that's the same question for every one of us in this room. It's not can we speak for Jesus, but rather will we speak for Jesus? Military chaplains are really on the front lines of the battle for religious freedom in this country. Whatever our government can get away with in squashing a chaplain's liberty to proclaim Christ is coming to every local church. It's coming to this church. So it's vital that we tactfully, firmly, biblically push back when the government encroaches upon the gospel. The James principle applies. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I'm not calling our government the devil, though sometimes they act like the devil. Our biblical models for resisting are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in Daniel chapter 1 through 6. Jesus said in the Great Commission, go everywhere and make disciples, including into hostile institutions. And so as Jesus sent his sheep, his disciples as sheep among wolves and exhorted them to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, so our chaplains go and do the same. Christ said he would build his church and nothing will stop this building. While the government pays the salaries of our chaplains, your support as a church helps us to recruit and defend them in their great mission in the hostile territories in which they serve. We send a newsletter out every month, and if you'd like to get a copy of that newsletter, you're welcome to either email me or my secretary, whose address is on the screen. Now let's look at our text in Luke chapter one. Everything about the birth of Christ in this passage is a meeting of the extraordinary with the ordinary. 
In fact, as you read the various gospel accounts of Christ's birth, you will soon discern that Christmas is the intersection of the ordinary with the extraordinary. It is the convergence of the eternal with the temporal. It is the incarnation, the hypostatic union of deity with humanity. To use the old English, the Son, of Ma- the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. And there are four fascinating intersections of the ordinary and the extraordinary in this passage, and I'd like to share them with you this morning. First, we see Messiah's extraterrestrial messenger. Verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Gabriel brings the message to Mary. There are only two angels named in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael. They are both archangels. Gabriel is God's most important, his highest messenger. The only angel in the Old Testament superior to these two angels is the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is identified in Exodus 3 at the burning bush as the Lord, Yahweh. So he is not an angel in the sense that Michael and Gabriel are. The angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Son of God. Notice that he does not deliver the message to Mary. He is the message to Mary. Angels are created beings that live on in perpetuity. And so Gabriel is old here when he appears to Mary. It was Gabriel who appeared to Daniel in Daniel chapter 8 and 9. He interprets Daniel's vision in chapter 8. And then in response to Daniel's wonderful intercessory prayer for his nation Israel, it is Gabriel who gives Daniel the prophecy of the 70 weeks in Daniel 9.21. It is not a coincidence that we do not see Gabriel again until this text. You know, brothers and sisters, we cannot unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament without blurring the gospel. The Old Testament is the context of the New Testament gospel, and it is the gospel. Genesis 3.15 is the first gospel, and there are at least 350 predictions of the birth of Christ scattered all throughout the Old Testament. All scripture is inspired of God and profitable. When Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 3.16, he was primarily referring to the Old Testament texts. So Gabriel now appears to Mary in human-like form. Gabriel had last spoken as a human to Daniel over 500 years before he arrives to see Mary. Gabriel now comes in pending, but in direct fulfillment of the 69th week of the 70-week prophecies in Daniel 9. You know, Bible prophecy may be hard for us to understand, but it is critically important. And it's important for us to diligently study it. Folks, listen, we would know nothing about God were it not for his gracious revelation in creation, and more importantly, in his word. 
The message that Gabriel brings to Mary is not his message. It is God's message. And in this message, we see God coming after sinners. God seeking sinners. The truth is, we do not seek God. He is seeking us. He is seeking you, my friend. Salvation was and always is initiated by God. It is God seeking us, not us Him. He is the real seeker, and Christmas is God seeking us. The messenger Gabriel was sent to an obscure and unexpected place, an ordinary place. The people of Judah had great contempt for the people of Galilee, especially the people of Nazareth. You remember what Nathanael said to his brother Philip when Philip came and said he had found the Messiah and he was from Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So Messiah, God's son, would be conceived in a shadowy and scorned place. God's highest messenger, the extraordinary, delivers God's message to a woman in an utterly ordinary town, perhaps an even less than ordinary town. You know, my friends, God finds people in utterly ordinary places like Greer and Taylor's and Greenville and Traveler's Rest, and he seeks to use them for his own glory and purposes in gospel advance. God goes to ordinary places. On the screen, you see Chaplain Jonathan Stevens, a man from an ordinary town in North Carolina who now preaches to thousands of Army recruits at Fort Jackson, Columbia, South Carolina. And I can report to you that hundreds have come to know Christ as a result of his ministry there over two years. And he has baptized score of, scores of them after he has ha had a class to teach them the meaning of baptism. Chaplain Tony Munez is a pastor of a small, ordinary town of only 1,200 people in Maine. He's also a volunteer fire department chaplain, and he wears this shirt that says Chaplain Tony on it, and people continually ask him what it means that he's a chaplain, and he has the opportunity to share Christ with them as a result. Chaplain Jermaine Smith is also from North Carolina. He served as a hospital chaplain in Tulsa, Oklahoma for three years and recently transferred to become a full-time VA chaplain in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He brings the gospel to our troubled, hurting veterans in Indiana. Chaplain Joshua Keats is from Kansas City, Missouri. He creatively witnesses and preaches to students in Gulfport, Mississippi. He decided to teach a class on what baptism means. And a bunch of students signed up. They had no idea what it was. It was a full class. And uh, three CBs in the class realized they weren't saved as he was teaching. And they came up to him after the class. And he led them to the Lord. And here he is baptizing them in a CB backhoe uh, there in the right. Chaplain John Eastman was saved as an enlisted sailor long ago in California. He is here baptizing a young sailor that he recently led to Christ at Naval Air Station, Pensacola. These are some of the AGC chaplains from ordinary places 
who, like Gabriel, are delivering God's extraordinary message to people serving in ordinary places. And they watch with wonder at what God does with the message that they deliver. The second thing we see in our text is Isaiah's, is Messiah's earthly mother. Notice with me verse 27. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at his statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to, you, according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, from the world's perspective, Mary is totally ordinary. She's a young teenager, probably in her mid-teens. She's a virgin. She's chaste. My, how out of sync that is in our today's sex-crazed culture. Aren't you grieved that we've made abortion a means of birth control in our country? And it is certainly to cover over our immoral, promiscuous lifestyle. This past summer, my youngest daughter was married in July, and uh, I gave her all of her adoption papers after I'd scanned them. And uh, as I was scanning them, I, I, I found a medical report of Erica's biological mom. She was 22 years old when, it, when she was pregnant with Erica. And the medical report said she'd had five abortions prior to delivering Erica. I, I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded by that. You know, if God tarried Messiah's advent to today, would he find a chaste woman to bear his son? And men, what does that say about us? Praise God for Joseph and Mary. She's betrothed, and her betrothal can only be broken by divorce. She's not a brilliant scholar. She's an average, ordinary teenager. She's limited in her understanding of Gabriel's message. The text says she's very perplexed. She kept pondering in her heart what this meant. Verse 34, she questions Gabriel, how can this be? She doesn't understand. She's not a college graduate. She doesn't have a PhD. She's fearful. She's totally ordinary. But you know, from heaven's perspective, Mary is anything but ordinary. She's extraordinary. She's greeted by the august angel as the favored one. The Greek word is related to charis, from which we get grace. She is literally the graced one. She is extraordinary because of God's grace. 
You know that God would pay attention to any of us at all is always only all rooted in his grace. If God has bestowed his grace upon you, you are somebody. You are a graced one. Paul said the most significant thing in his life was God's abundant grace poured out on him. And it is the same for us who know him today. Her name is Mary, Maria. It literally means exalted one. The Lord was with her, the text says. Here is humble royalty in both her person and genealogy. But third, she's the unique one. She will miraculously and uniquely conceive and bear a son. No one else in human history will conceive as she did. It's not IVF in virtual fertilization. It's a greater wonder than that. The Holy Spirit of God will affect this miraculous conception. The ordinary will be overshadowed by the extraordinary, and a son will be conceived in her womb, and the child Jesus will be the Holy Son of God. No other woman who has ever lived on the face of this earth has been uniquely graced in such a way as Mary. God's plan for her was unique. But you know, my friends, God's plan for you is also unique. His plan for you will not be like Mary's. It will be different, but it will still be graciously unique. There is no diversity, equity, and inclusion representative on God's staff. The truth is, none of us deserve anything from God except his just judgment. That's the only equity we deserve from him. God diversely and uniquely gifts us with his grace, so be who you are in Christ and don't try to be someone else. So we see here that God seeks average ordinary people from ordinary places and he graces them in order to do extraordinary work. Chaplain Stu Kazarovich is a very animated and unpolished but down-to-earth country preacher who loves Jesus and has led many to Christ during his long career as a Navy chaplain. He builds chapel congregations wherever he's posted. He preaches the word and people come. But he's not just burdened for people in the chapel. He's burdened for soldiers who don't come to chapel. And so he creatively brainstormed a way to bus soldiers and their families from Fort Knox to the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum, and he got the army to pay for all of it. That's the best deal. And on the way up there, he stands in the front of the bus and he gives them the context of what they're about to see. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's Mars Hill Ministry, just like the Apostle Paul. They don't have a vocabulary to understand the gospel. He gives them the vocabulary on the way up, and he's led a number of them to Christ. An ordinary preacher. Stephen Kim is a humble servant of Christ and yet a brilliant scholar. And he's passionate about winning his soldiers to Jesus Christ. He's led a number of them personally. His battalion commander loves him. 
and gives him opportunities to speak about moral and ethical leadership regularly to the battalion leaders. He opens up his Bible and teaches them. Chaplain John Ledbetter is the assistant pastor of University Baptist Church in Clemson. Here he is, another ordinary servant of Christ, preaching to Air Force Airmen at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, and he's led a number to Christ there as well. Chaplain Donnie Kime, a Navy chaplain, stationed in California, assigned to the Coast Guard, is aboard an icebreaker in Antarctica, preaching the gospel. And Chaplain Joseph Stuttered from Trinity Bible Church, just up the road, He's posted at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. He just deployed to Poland. Here he is preaching in his very first chapel service just this past Sunday. So from California to Washington State, to Florida, to Maine, from Poland to Antarctica, you have seen in these pictures AGC chaplains, average ordinary men, this past year, proclaiming Christ all around the world. And this church has been and is a strategic partner in their labors for Christ. God uses ordinary people. And I was reminded of this when a staff member sent me this picture. Uh, in January of this year, we went to Washington, D.C. We're advocates for our chaplains. We try to get legislation that protects their rights to preach the gospel. And we visited a number of congressmen and senators. And we visited one congressman, and he clearly was a believer. Uh, he, he was very interested in the gospel ministry of our chaplains. He even asked us to pray for him before we left. And here he is in this picture. He's now the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. How could that happen? God did that. That's how that happened. And we need to pray for this man. Third, we see in our text Messiah's enduring magnificence. Notice verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. The ordinary woman from the ordinary town would carry and deliver a son in ordinary fashion. Mary's son would be carried for nine months in her womb, and he would be born a baby boy like most every other baby is born. Messiah will be born like everyone else. In this sense, an absolutely ordinary birth of a seemingly ordinary baby boy. But that, boy, that baby's birth, his birth, would be the last thing that is ordinary about this child. This seemingly ordinary baby boy, our text tells us, will be great. No greater one walked the face of this earth than this one. The world's very dating system is based upon his birth, before Christ, and in the year of our Lord. Who on earth ever spoke truer? Who was wiser? Who was greater? Who cared more? Who served more selflessly? Who was more godlike? Who sacrificed more than Jesus? There is not one greater than our Lord Jesus. He was truly great when he walked this earth the first time. 
The whole thrust of the book of Hebrews is that Christ is better. He's greater. He's better than angels. He's a better prophet. He's a better priest. He's a better sacrifice. He's better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than Joshua. And I have not scratched the surface of describing the greatness of our Lord Jesus. Nor can we comprehend the future revelation of his greatness and glory, which is yet to come. He is the wonderful counselor of Isaiah 9. Christ-likeness is the very standard by which we judge our lives as believers. There is no better term. There is no greater standard by which to measure a life. This seemingly ordinary baby, born to an ordinary woman, in an ordinary place, by an ordinary means, is, would be, and will ever be great. But not just great, the text says. He's God. He will be called the son of the highest, Gabriel said. He is God in the flesh, equal with Yahweh, a carbon copy, as one has said. He is Messiah. Isaiah 7:14 says his name is Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. He is the mighty God, the everlasting father of Isaiah 9. What great humility, God becoming the ordinary and for us. But thirdly, he will be governor. The text says he will govern Israel. As David's greater son, he will sit on David's throne, according to 2 Samuel 7.16. You know, as we enjoy the blessings of God in this church age, we must not forget that God is not done with Israel. While we rejoice in those Jews who have come to Christ, during this church aid, the church in Israel remained distinct. Over two-thirds of all Jews living today are still living in exile, and there is coming a day when they will all return to their homeland. He will govern Israel, and he will govern indefinitely. Jesus' reign on David's throne will begin in the millennium at the conclusion of Daniel's 70th week, the Great Tribulation, and it will transition into eternity. God will keep all of his promises to his chosen people, Israel, and he will keep all of his promises to the church. And finally, he will govern in righteousness. This is the government leader that we all long for and have not yet found. Could our dissatisfaction with our own governmental leaders be related to this inner longing for this leader. This one will rule and reign forever. Not like the good and old bad cycle of kings in, who all died in the Old Testament. This one will not die. He will rule forever. This one is the Prince of Peace of Isaiah 9. And he will bring the peace for which this world groans, for which our own hearts groan. You know, on my last deployment, I prayed for months that God would give us an opportunity to witness uh, to the Afghans. And in the means of a cultural exchange set up by my general, our chapel choir sang six Christmas carols and I was able to share with, with Afghan leaders the true meaning of Christmas. I, 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 I started with the phrase, Merry Christmas. I said, we people of the book say this year 
this time of the year, Merry Christmas to one another. And then I explained what Christmas is. And I centered it on love, joy, and peace. And I explained to them Christ coming into the world to become our Savior. At the conclusion of the singing, my general came up forward and he grabbed the microphone and he thrust his fist in the air and he, he said, Christ is born, peace on earth. Brothers and sisters, peace on earth will come to Afghanistan someday. Our Lord Jesus will sit on the throne and the Prince of Peace will rule. And finally, we see Messiah's earthly messenger. Notice verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel now encourages Mary with what has just happened with Elizabeth, her relative. He tries to help this ordinary young woman from an ordinary place understand what has happened to Elizabeth so as to encourage her faith in what will happen to her. God would extraordinarily use an older couple, an ordinary older couple, who were well past their age of childbearing, like Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. And he would use them to birth an ordinary son who would become the extraordinary forerunner of Jesus Messiah. You know, at the beginning of our text, God chose an ordinary young woman, a teenager. And now he chooses an ordinary older couple to birth Messiah's forerunner. You know, some of you here in this room today are in your 70s and 80s, and maybe even in your 90s. And you think you've retired. You think maybe that God is done with you because you're too old. I got news for you. God uses all ages. He's an equal opportunity employer. Never think he can't or won't use you. And Marty Jones, that means you too. She's listening. Old Elizabeth would birth a son in an ordinary fashion. And my, how that ordinary son, John the Baptist, living in a rugged, a rugged clothing in the wilderness alone, would serve the Lord. Jesus said of him, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. You see, my friends, nothing is impossible with God. God continues to use ordinary, older people to do extraordinary things. Chaplain Bob Freiberg is one of our retired Navy chaplains. He retired eight years ago. He's the first chaplain of three to go to Zambia to the Central African Baptist University, and he is here teaching pastors, a number of whom will become Zambian Army chaplains. What an incredible opportunity he has to influence future chaplains in a Christian country. We can't send our active duty chaplains. There's, there's too much red tape to get them to Zambia. But we can send our retired chaplains. 
And so our third one just returned uh, from teaching a one-week block course. We do this four times a year. Praise God, Bob Freiberg hasn't retired. He continues to serve Christ. But not just Bob Freiberg. Our Vice President, Ron Benzing, is 82 years old. He still pastors Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mills River, North Carolina. And he lived in Germany for 25 years. He knows a lot of people from Ukraine. This man in the upper left-hand uh, corner, he knows. He, uh, Vasily is a pastor, and he's also a volunteer Baptist chaplain in the Ukrainian army. He's conducting the funeral of one of his church members who was killed in the Ukraine war. Now, we can't go there and teach those pastors how to be military chaplains like we can in Zambia, but we can Zoom with them and we can send them materials to train them. And so I just would say to you, never think that God is done with you because of your age. God delights to use ordinary older people in his work. Nothing is impossible with God. So as I look out on this congregation today, I see mostly ordinary people living ordinary lives, in ordinary places, doing ordinary things. And when I read passages of scripture like this, I get excited because you are the very kind of people that God delights to use to do the extraordinary. You are the very kind. The intersection of the ordinary with the extraordinary continues today. Not like this text, but nevertheless in great ways. How will God use you this Christmas season to share the gospel with your neighbors and extended family? God desires to use you, an ordinary believer in him, to bring the extraordinary message of the gospel to those who do not know. As Gabriel encouraged Mary with Elizabeth, God encourages us in both of their examples today. Nothing is impossible with God. Only believe, be willing to be used, and go. You know, I loved serving as a Navy chaplain for 27 years. And when I joined the Navy, Baptists were a dime a dozen. And if you were an independent Baptist, well, you were even less important than the Big B Baptists. And so I never had much say in where I was going to go. Uh, one chaplain said, they're orders, not invitations. He, he was right. You just went wherever you were ordered to go. But you know, I never doubted for one minute that everywhere I went was where God wanted me to go. The Navy detailer just thought he was sending me where the Navy needed me. In reality, it was God and his divine providence placing me where he wanted me to go. Somebody asked, what was your favorite tour, Chaplain Brown? I don't have a favorite tour. Every single one of them I loved, but for different reasons. And some of them were more difficult than others. One of the places we served was Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. I was in 2nd Medical Battalion, and during Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm, we deployed to Saudi Arabia. And in the northern deserts of Saudi Arabia, we constructed combat hospitals. We expected thousands of Marine casualties during Operation 
Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Thankfully, that didn't happen. But as we went there, our battalion grew from 600 to 1,200, and we brought aboard 120 Navy doctors. And all of those Navy doctors came from naval hospitals all across the United States. So one day, they're in this beautiful, sterilized, clean hospital, and the next day, they're in a tent in the sand, and I never met a bigger group of whiners in my whole life than those 120 Navy doctors. They weren't practicing their medicine, so they felt like they were losing their skills. You know, finally, I arranged for the general to come and speak to them, and, uh, and he basically said to them, don't you realize that if you're not practicing your skills, that means my Marines aren't dying, and that's a good thing? You know, they finally figured it out. But one of them I met was a, name, was a doctor by the name of Dr. Farrell. He was a pediatric cardiologist. And uh, the Navy only had two. One, he was from Bethesda Naval Hospital, and the other one's from Balboa Naval Hospital in San Diego. And so I would visit Dr. Farrell regularly, and we got to become friends. And he would tell me how many hundreds of thousands of dollars the Navy was losing because he was sitting in the sand doing nothing rather than seeing his patients at Bethesda Naval Hospital. And, uh, you know, I didn't lead any of those doctors to the Lord, but I visited them regularly. I just wanted to try to encourage them. They lived in tents, and each one of the tents had a sign in front of it. It said Camelot. And then it had a number. Only a doctor would understand that. Uh, the war ended, and I transferred to a Navy ship uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, and I served on board the San Jacinto for three years. Two years into that tour of duty, I'd already been gone almost two years. Um, I get this packet in the mail that I've been selected for postgraduate training, and the Navy was going to send me for one year to go to school, to seminary. Only it was a mistake. <laughs> they chose a different Steve Brown, and they sent me his package, and when they found out they made the mistake, it was a royal embarrassment for the chief of chaplains. So I ended up going to postgraduate school, but not because the Navy wanted to send an independent Baptist. They had no desire to send an independent Baptist. God opened the door. And so we went to Trinity International University in Deerfield, Illinois, and we lived at Great Lakes Naval Base for one year. And we knew we were going to Iwaguni, Japan, to the Marine Corps Air Station. I would pastor a large congregation and run the religious education program. So we begin our overseas screening in January, and we're now in June, and we're at our last appointment at the Naval Hospital to complete our overseas screening. And a Medical Service Corps commander comes in and says, Chaplain, your twins have heart murmurs. They will not pass overseas screening. You cannot go to Iwakuni. We're supposed to leave in 10 days. Why are you telling me this now? You started this screening six months ago. I mean, I was frustrated and I was devastated. And, uh, but there was nothing I could do. There were no waivers available. So we left the hospital, and as we're walking out of the hospital, who comes through the front door but Dr. Farrell? I haven't seen Dr. Farrell in four years. He sees me, immediately yells out Chaplain Brown, runs up to me and hugs me and asks me how I'm doing. 
I explained to him where I'd been and where I'm going. And, and I said, we were supposed to go to Iwakuni, but my kids have heart murmurs and, and they didn't pass overseas screening. And he looked at his nurse and he said, I'm gonna examine the chaplain's two kids. And the nurse said, chaplain, uh, doctor, we're only here one day and your schedule's full. He said, I have a lunch hour, don't I? And she said, yes, you bring me a sandwich. I'm gonna examine the chaplain's two children during my lunch hour. And so during the lunch hour, I brought my twins up to the hospital and he did the ultrasound on their heart and he did a videotape of it and he signed them off as good to go. Now I want you to think about that. If I would have walked out of that hospital five minutes earlier or five minutes later, I would not have gone to Japan. I would not be preaching to you today if I had not gone to Japan. Dr. Farrell, one of 120 doctors, was still only one of two pediatric cardiologists, and he was the one that walked through that door at that time. Now, I'm going to tell you something, friends. That was extraordinary. That was God saying to me, I am the one that directs your life. And he directed my life by using a man that I simply tried to encourage in an ordinary fashion as he served in the desert long ago. So, what is God calling you to do today? Maybe I should ask the question, what did God call you to do in the past that you haven't done yet? Maybe you think you're too ordinary to do what God has called you to do. Maybe you feel inadequate. Maybe you don't fully understand and you have a lot of questions about what God is calling you to do. My friend, like Mary, just be willing to go and do and watch what God does through you. Watch what he does through you. Nothing is impossible with God. It is our turn to serve like Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth. Christmas is God seeking sinners and using the ordinary to bring about the extraordinary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mary and for Elizabeth and for their examples. We're thankful, Lord, that even though they didn't understand what you were doing, they were willing to do whatever it was that you wanted them to do. And Lord, we are blessed today because of what you did and because of what they were willing to do. Lord, help us to see today that it's our turn to do the same. Uh, you don't always give us all the details about what you've called us to do. You ask us to step out in faith. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that you're calling to do something and they have hesitations, Lord, just help them to trust you like Mary did, like Elizabeth did. And God, would you be pleased this Christmas season to bring our neighbors and our loved ones to Christ 
by using us ordinary folks to do the extraordinary in bringing them your message. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.